0: Podcast Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum. Welcome to today's Secession podcast. I'm very happy that I'll be talking to Anna Titova and Stanislav Shuripa, who formed the Agency of Singular Investigations. My name is Annette Südberg, and I've had the pleasure of working with you on your exhibition here at the Secession. The Agency of Singular Investigations was founded in 2014, shortly after the illegal annexation of Crimea and in reaction to the dramatic changes in Russia. For your exhibition here at the Secession, you have developed a completely new installation that offers multiple narratives that overlap, and I'm hoping to unwind some of these meanings. You have conceived this exhibition as a dialogue between two fictive characters that talk about the recent history of Russia. Can you tell us a little bit more about this approach? Hello and thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: For session, we've been working on a new project for quite some time and it's very dear to us. It consists of four sculptures, a large diagram and blue carpet. And this work could be operated on many levels each. Sculpture is a collision of many things and yet they form quite unique world that we wanted to share with the audience. And the narrative unfolds by looking closer to each sculpture in the space. As you said, the center of the installation is a dialogue between the Pickle and Grigory Zamzin, a factory worker who works on the project How to Reverse Rivers." In Siberia, so there is a black hole appears above that part and makes Earth a centre of the universe yet again. And that's in a way kind of frames the irony, the tragedy, the current problems that we wanted to address in this work.
2: The form of the dialogue is quite important in this case, as well as this type of approach you can trace it in our previous works. And in the case of this work, the dialogical form is also related to speaking formally. We are quite interested how the narrative can be unfolded in space. So our work is... Usually, and th- this work is kind of outright example of it, our work unfolds from narrative towards spatial constructions, which might be installations or set of objects or environment or kind of atmosphere. And this is also dialogue between sort of word game narrative, you can say, and the special experience between speech and body in this sense. So these two characters that have this imaginary dialogue As Anna said, they are of imaginary nature uh, and the figure of the worker is not presented in the space of the exhibition, it's purely conceptual figure. So for us it's also interesting to see how the conceptual becomes speculative and vice versa, how the heritage of conceptual art can be turned to the actuality of today, which is in our opinion very much related to communication, miscommunication, uh, understanding and misunderstanding basically of interplay, symbiosis and conflict of various discourses.
0: So the dialogue becomes manifest also in this huge diagram that almost fills a wall in the exhibition. It's kind of a core piece. I feel that the title of the show, On New Thinking, which is a term coined by Michael Gorbachev and was really part of his political program, and other forgotten dreams also describes a kind of turning point or pivot point from utopia to dystopia. Can you describe in which ways this kind of moment uh, becomes manifest in the exhibition?
2: It's an interesting question. The title, It in a Condensed Form, the title is of the show is On New Thinking and Other Forgotten Dreams. And uh, as you notice, even in the title, there is certain understanding of history inscribed. The understanding of history not as something linear or something which going from one event to the other according to some historical law something but history as we basically experience it now as uh, living creatures i and anna hi- history which basically goes through our very existence so in case of our lives the historical and the political becomes the core of existential of our way of basically living because we relocated and we also we work transnationally now due to this horrible historical circumstances. So history presents itself in this diagram that you mentioned, uh, which is placed on the wall. It presents itself as a basically cloud of Various, They look like bubbles in graphic expression, but various factors and forces which often go unnoticeable in like the psychological struggles of today or ideological struggles of today. And this mind map uh, on the wall, it's called the lavender mist of history, which refers also to famous old painting by Jackson Pollock, lavender mist it was called. And the idea why we called it this was is that the feeling of historical time, historical moment for us is the feeling of like as if huge abstract painting envelops you and does not let you moving. So these complex processes of influences of various discursive ideological formations, psychological social forces that we try to express in this diagram, they are kind of toxic cloud of today which limits certain possibilities, which makes certain things go to the parallel unfulfilled futures, unhappened pasts, and so on. So, yeah, it's about the history as a network of events that happen, might happen, not, never happen, like real virtual imaginary events that nonetheless influence our very material reality.
1: If I could add to what Stanislav said, or continues this thought, that sometimes we, in our work, treat history as a broken time machine. There are certain nodes or points that connect our narratives to the factual events, but often they take a different fictional course which could be a dream, a diary, found a journal that tells the history in a completely different light. And in the space, it could be not only a diagram, it could be a timeline, it could be a text, it could be written words, it could be a map on the carpet. For this decision, we decided that a world diagram could really fill the space better than anything else.
0: What I really like is this idea of history or these political events being around us almost like mist and something, so you can't escape it. It's really you're inside the cloud. But then, of course, there's also this moment where it takes shape and becomes a reality. And I would like to jump to another work you're exhibiting that is just beside the diagram, actually. That's this work Dance, where you very closely look on the up of a very specific gesture. Could you describe this work for us?
1: Dance is a silhouette cutout of a girl, and uh, her hands are thrown up in the air, and from a distance it might look as if that person is dancing. It's a very expressive gesture. In fact, this is a cutout from a video still of one of the first anti-war protests in Moscow, when a young girl was brutally beaten while she's been detained by the police. So two policemen are holding her hands, and she cannot move, and yet... They access their power. It was a very pivotal moment in each of our work. We're really interested in capturing the nerve of what is contemporary time. And that work felt, that moment felt very important and we wanted to commemorate it. And we felt that to have a cutout of the actual video would be the most appropriate gesture from our side.
2: The idea of this kind of momentary coincidence or rhyming of two moments in history, it shows us the on one hand very kind of coincidental nature of what's going on it also give us hope that this mist of history someday would suddenly resolve but at the same time it shows how how latently, subliminally today's you can say digital or postmodern authoritarianism works it works also through the sphere of entertainment, of mm-hmm. culture so it corrupts the cultural forms in let's say in Moscow that uh, were used back in previous eras as forms of liberation, of emancipation, it turns them into forms of manifestation, of loyalty, or into forms of brutal terror, and Mm -hmm. so on. So, this coincidence of poses, for us, is one part of this kind of dark historical poetry, which... Unknown poet, maybe not a personal poet, but the structural poet mm. produces using our lives as well.
0: Another manifestation of the mist, maybe, is in one of the sculptures, The Murky Water. You already mentioned the two main characters, Requeo is something. Yeah, having disappeared. But the second one is a pickled cucumber. And this you find in this murky water in a kind of aquarium, where it sits on a sculpture or replica of a sculpture by Kazimir Malevich, a kind of 3D print of an architectron. Could you tell us a little bit more about this works and how you read it and what you associate with this work?
2: This object, as well as other objects in the exhibition, but this one especially is characteristic of one of the methodologies that we apply. And you can see this one, as well as other objects presented, as a result of collision or breaking or rupture of two or more narratives or historical layers or eras. For example, this one, which consists of the fish tank aquarium, Inside it, as you mentioned, there is the replica of Kazimir Malevich's Architekton. It's a sculptural work by this earlier Soviet, Russian and Ukrainian avant-garde artist. In Malevich's Architekton, he tried... To envision the forms of future architecture, future society, future technologies and so on. He did it, of course, in the early 1920s Soviet Russia, which was basically hungry and destroyed. So there is this poetic of... Beginning of impossible vision of the future, of unpreviewable future, of this like heroic utopia, if you like. And the end of this heroic uh, or pseudo heroic utopia is the pickle, which is also the pinnacle of DIY technologies of Soviet and post-Soviet people who en masse, they like to, to conservate the pickles for some maybe birthday or New Year celebration for next year. Often these pickles are stored in the balconies and sometimes they are never used so they get fermented. There are some bubbles just like bubbles in the map, in the mind map um, of recent history. So this pickle is answering to the question of this imaginary worker who is not presented. Any spectator might try to imagine herself in the place of this imaginary worker, and Pickle tries to explain with this bubbling the meaning of recent history, which is, of course, to character in our work as well as to all of us. The meaning of recent history is quite hidden. It presents itself as a storm, as a cataclysm. So both we and our Our imaginary character would very much like to know pickle's thoughts about what's going on and how we come to this.
1: Perhaps I could add that it's a little bit unclear. Does the pickle live in a toxic environment of that brewed water or the environment is like this because of a pickle? So this question is open as well as the identity or new subjectivity of a pickle that obviously emerged on the ruins of certain utopian dreams. And in a way, pickle becomes a new protagonist of a story. If Grigori Zamzin refers to our beloved characters of little men, In 19th century literature, the pickle is kind of a new entity that exists in this ruined, toxic environment that we wanted to explore and uh, make a center of the installation.
2: You also may see it in the following way. The absent worker, if you listen to his name, Grigory Zamsin, you can feel the echo of the name of the key character in Franz Kafka's metamorphosis. In our opinion, what has been described in that story by Kafka was not so much some tragic uh, incident, uh, rather it's a birth of a new 20th century person who is basically to become an insect is a metaphor to become context dependent. If you take it up philosophically, you can say that modern subject is context independent because it's pure thought. But postmodern subject is very much context-rooted, like an insect. It's a birth of new person of 20th century. In this succession, the pickle is the birth of new mind of 21st century. It's post-human mind, which still experiences, suffers, talks, thinks, but it's already post-human. It's a vegetable.
0: (laughs) Okay, so taking up this idea of a context you place yourself in, you include several references to other artists and their practice in the exhibition. We already mentioned Malevich. There's also... The Lenin Tribune by Elie so they're like two expressions of revolutionary spirit. But we also have John Lennon, a Western pop star and an advocate for peace. And there's also an illustrator of children's book, Vladimir Konasiewicz, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it. Absolutely correct, which stands for a seemingly naive um, expression that was formulated under suppression and that, as you consider, has very much influenced the Moscow conceptualists, especially Kabakov, who also was an illustrator of children's books. So how would you position your practice in this circle and how would you describe the relation of your artistic practice to Politics. I would say that
1: our practice is very much related to critical and conceptual practice, and in a way, derivative of the Moscow conceptualist circle. Everything that you see in the exhibition in terms of visual execution is a conscious decision. In fact, when we work together, we start with a narrative, and then the visual aspect of the work, how it will look in the exhibition is a long discussion how that could be presented. It's a text-based or narrative-based installations that we're interested in and yet it operates as a visual world on many levels.
2: Perhaps one can see the way that we work with the 20th century heritage, cultural mm-hmm. heritage, you can call it this way. Literature and art, we kind of use it as if we would be using a vocabulary. So the quotations, replicas of Lisitsky and Malevich, for us, we use it as science of certain cultural and intellectual trends, 20th century and now. Not so much in this case, we are not so much interested in artistic, formal qualities of these pieces, rather we use it as uh, tokens or signs or indexes of certain ideological or like psychopolitical political forms that we are interested in. So our key interest is to study the situation with minds today, especially in the context of this like horrible political and human disaster, which is aggressive war in Ukraine. So these are kind of echoes or glimpses or... You can maybe think of famous but obscure idea of Walter Benjamin, of dialectical image, like some little parts of huge forces, huge cultural forces that worked in the past, still perhaps working today in some point. So we just pick it up to construct our own like slightly kaleidoscopic vision of the present through the past.
1: Yes, it's often we treat certain things as documents and um, going back to what Stas said about quoting or reference certain things. It's not so much of replicas that we do, but we reconstruct certain things from their documentation. Often what you see in our work are reconstructions, digital reconstructions from the photographs, from the texts, from something that is, uh, again, a diary or a note. And sometimes it can be very different to the original because it is a constructed copy and it's constructed from whatever visual material we can gather without necessarily be an identical copy of what was the original. So we allow this kind of a digital mistake or uh, mistakes that digital archives could cause in our work. So it could lead to a different size, it could lead to obscure shapes and things. Especially with the Tribune and Mm Architecton in our work, that's been taken from a public library. It was a conscious decision just to work with the photographs, not Mm -hmm. to study the actual objects, because that's what you see online, that's what
0: you see in publications and books. I noticed that at some points you very precisely choose also technologies that one would call very up-to-date, like 3D printing or also references to kind of a digital language. So I was wondering if in this context you can tell us a little bit more about your choice of techniques and materials. We like to combine
1: high-tech and low-tech. So in the exhibition, you would see uh, furniture that is done in DIY manner. If you look closely or you pay more attention to how it's done, you can see that it's been deliberately executed in a way it is to look a little bit clumsy, and yet it functions and works very well. And often when we want to make an object that is quoting another artist's work or another important piece in our narrative. We would work with different 3D architects, designers. It could be a group of people to construct a new model. And that becomes like a collective piece that is executed on our behalf.
2: Yeah, and it's also another dimension of it is that in the way we work, we are very much interested to show or to feel the character of today. Basically, our key point of interest is to figure out for for ourselves even what happens today the character of the present we try to do it with metaphors with images but also with technologies that we use and it's in our opinion important part of the present this kind of wiping out of the middle and the medium so only extremes are staying and technologically speaking these extremes are expressed by DIYness and digitality so everything in the middle kinds of go away and we have this kind of new medieval cyberpunk kind of environment <laughs> which very much corresponds to the state of society and minds in the place where we came from initially.
0: To make a slight shift and turn to another subject, I think one storyline, to call it that way, that's very prominent in your exhibition is the question of propaganda. I happened to read a very nice book by Rebecca Solnit recently called Orwell's Roses. And there she refers to a certain episode that in Orwell's book 1984 where the main character, Winston Smith, at a certain point breaks down under the torture and then he agrees that two and two equals five. For me, it was kind of new and interesting to read that this has a parallel in Soviet propaganda of the 1930s, where this kind of formula, 2 plus 2 equals 5, was even put into the windows as a kind of neon sign. And that would kind of, was supposed to describe that, yeah, one could kind of overachieve to fulfill the five-year plan if you do it in two and two years. Uh, so that was the idea. But of course, it really turns into a very absurd moment because everyone knows that this is like just mathematically wrong. I'm talking to a mathematician here. (laughs) So I was just wondering what are your observations in the current situation in kind of thinking of a post-truth reality and how you kind of work with this and translate it into your art? Would it be correct to say that
1: that's the time or that's the part where we we implement the satire and the humor? Because satire and humor creates a critical distance from which you can observe environment in which you are situated and in which it seems there is no escape from a distance. Through this reposition, there is a new reflection that could one have not necessarily through laughing that hard, but through dissociating yourself already from that person who is powerless in a situation. I would suggest that the irony is one of the elements that we include in our work.
2: Also, you can see it in the way, coming back to the 2 plus 2 equals 5, back in the 1930s, there really existed similar slogan in Stalin's Soviet Union, which would mean that five-year plan, as you said, should be fulfilled in four years. So we would do it earlier, so the development of Soviet Union would be faster and faster. That was expression of desire to make the time moving faster. Nowadays, there is another opposite desire of the power in that country to basically slow in the time. So today's slogan would be 2 plus 2 equals 3. Uh, rather than five (laughs) just like i
0: like that (laughs) to,
2: to to keep it like so that the great leaders would never get old and so on so that time would stop in this sense it also we try to reflect it in our method of addressing our work to the viewer basically we from early on from 2014, from the very beginning of um, the Agency of Single Investigations, when it was founded, we started to work with. The um, issues related to post-truth, so-called fake news, this kind of gray zone of discourse where the lie is not distinguishable from truth, being from non-being, you cannot understand what's there. It's like the level when the language produces its own reality. It's a matter of users to believe it or to exploit this reality or not or to refrain from it. So we eventually apply similar approach to the way how the viewer can enter our work because there are several layers of narrative usually. in the, One thing is what you see, another thing is what you know, third thing is what we tell to the viewer and so on and so on. So the process of viewers understanding of our work, we take it to be part of the aesthetics of our work. So if like let's say the classical aesthetics is this little shifting between reason and imagination, we drag it into the process of understanding of our message so that the viewer would decide for herself whether to believe or not to believe what's being shown and said or how to believe in it, how to connect the things and so on. So this is basically part of this slowing and exhilarating of time, but this time on personal level of how the viewer understands what is presented or what is told.
1: Maybe another thing that I would like to add, so a part of an irony that we introduce in our work to create this counter power to the propaganda is the imagination. In our work, we tell the story that one has to imagine. There are many things that you don't see in front of you. And you have to, in a way, think about them or imagine them if you wish to. And that's, I guess, one of our interests to create this world where people can allow themselves to imagine different past, different present, different futures.
2: Uh, it's maybe in terms of mathematical equations, we leave it to the viewer to basically decide and protect the opinion how much is 2 plus 2? Is it still 4, 3, 5, 57? Mm-hmm. So, we, we would lay it in our work and then we see how the viewer w- works with this data. Yeah.
0: Taking up what you said, Anna, with the humor and the irony, I'd like to also include one other work that is the sculpture Lenin Linen. There's a kind of prelude to the exhibition posed in the between on the staircase. And it is a bust of Lenin, which as far as I'm aware of, used to be in almost every household. And you've kind of disguised it with a wig and with glasses, like a very... Seemingly simple gesture, but very effective. And one aspect I like very much about it is that with this kind of round glasses, which are very typical for John Lennon, even though he puts on these glasses, he's actually blinded. But I'm sure that you can tell us much more about this sculpture and how you think about it and why you included it in your narration.
1: This sculpture is displayed in the vitrine. And we couldn't resist the temptation to do something in the vitrine of the secession. In fact, there are two works. This one, lenin Lenin, and the blue carpet that really works with the space. They're very site-specific. The blue carpet operates as if you are stepping onto the cloud or the sky has fallen onto you. It also could be a metaphor for the absent Grigory Zamsin, who works on river projects and the vitrine it's kind of a reminder or a shadow of certain things and obviously utopian and dystopian ideas that are represented by very different Lenin and Lenin. The sculpture itself positioned in the vitrine and covered with the piece of wood shaped as a laboratory bottle. And that laboratory bottle has a hose and that hose in the space turns into a physical hose that gives a little oxygen to the pickle which is in a jar. And this is all, again, addresses the ideas of all the utopia and dystopia being dreams, bubbles and yet experiments that sometimes become dramatic, but have irony in them too. And it felt kind of important to have this work also as a collision of many ideas that we, in our practice, lay into creating the objects. That kind of becomes almost Dada gesture when you take a ready-made, which could be a quote, a reference point, and then turn it into something else very simply, just positioning a wig on top of bald head.
2: Mm. Yeah, you can also see it as an expression of this idea of, let's say, history as a cloud of various chemical substances. In this case, also, if you think about this Lenin's bust, you know that uh, Lenin's images in Soviet Union, they were only very special artists would be allowed to paint or sculpt Lenin. Mm -hmm. So You needed to have certain qualification and certain loyalty also because only if you are known as a faithful Ideologically, artist, you would be trusted to like sculpt. (laughs) <laughs> this, this person. So, these images of Lenin were very standardized in Soviet Union. It would be, and it was a complete faux pas if somebody would just do Lenin artistically. Like, you cannot do it because you can do it only in a special form, a special way of the countenance, of the way of the face, and so on, so on. So, this type of busts, they are... Closer not to realist sculpture, but in fact, in this way, they are more related to medieval images, which are strictly coded. On the other hand, they are related to pop art images, because uh-huh. it's exactly, you have to repeat the commonplace, basically, the stereotype. And in this sense, it has very little to do with the person of that human you mean being. mean it kind
0: of becomes... Popular, so it, it, pop, it be, you're making yeah. this kind of connection, then, where again we are at John Lennon.
2: Exactly. So it becomes popular, becomes popular cliche, which in a way it also has the nature of post truth. Because everybody thought Lenin looks like this, but you know, ultimately who knows how he looks if we only have this. Yeah. It's shocking to see how Lenin looked in the cinema footages, few cinema footages that remained. He is very vulnerable, very nervous, hysterical person compared to this like god, which is like typical Soviet image of him. And John Lennon here is like the kind of hybridization. It also expresses our whole maybe the era of bloody and carnivorous events might really turn to the era of peaceful revolutions of mind. Mm
0: -hmm. If we jump out of the sphere of art and abstract ideas into real life here, I'm wondering about the current situation in Russia that you face. It's a political situation dominated by dictatorship, militarism, and war, of course, but also by sanctions from the West. So I'm wondering how things changed for you as artists since the beginning of the war. You personally, but maybe also more general, what options are left for artists to work in Russia?
2: When the war started, things changed for us quite quickly because we could not work anymore in our, like, what was our home context because lots of art institutions were unable to work and were closed. Then one of our works has been censored. After that, we realized that it's not even that, I mean, on one hand, it's clearly impossible to say what we want to say, even though the work that has been censored was not very... Uh, it, it was quite harmless in our opinion, yeah. But on the other hand, it was just disgusting to talk to audience in these circumstances when you constantly have to be self-censored or censored and so on. So we stopped basically our professional activity in there and we only retained some contacts with young and emerging artists, some like private communications and so on just to to have our input what, what's most important in our opinion for today's remaining Moscow art scene is to carry on and to transmit to the future the the ethos, the system of relationships which makes an art world so that emerging artists of the future, they would kind of inherit certain ethical habits, if you want, and so on. So we communicate quite a lot with young artists, but otherwise it's more or less the death of art and culture. We hope it's lethargy, that the death is temporary, but yeah, it's impossible to really work as we used to
1: absolutely. It had a devastating effect. And uh, sometimes you feel like you cannot work and another day you start working on something that is A mere reflection of things that you want to say. And it's very complex and puzzling because obviously you are in the news and news are so devastating that it's sometimes very hard to distance yourself from what you read or what you know. We have a space and uh, that space at the moment we are turning into a safe environment for younger artists or anyone who wants to meet, talk about art and discuss things together. And we feel that through new collectivity, through gathering, talking, discussing new roles of artwork and what is to be an artist nowadays, there could be a change. And it feels that communication is very important nowadays and we wish that at the moment it's it's not very easy to have it to have a dialogue but uh, we wish that maybe in the future there will be more opportunities to talk and discuss and come together in whatever format that could be Mm -hmm. assembly lectures performances but definitely the format of the exhibition is not possible and Mm -hmm. public exhibition uh, is is something that is non-existent Mm -hmm. as we used to know it.
0: Yeah, I really have to say at this point how much I admire your strengths and I think that the session can be very proud (laughs) that under these very hard and harsh circumstances you've been able to make this exhibition with us especially such a beautiful and elaborate exhibition I've been thinking about how to end this conversation and a possible last question would of course be how you imagine the future I know that this is almost impossible to answer, as it's kind of probably also very dark and yeah, we're in front of a long winter maybe. I think so let's twist it <laughs> and take the moment of the long winter <laughs> and that you are very interested in reading and literature. So I was just wondering if you can recommend us some book for a good reading or maybe rereading what you think we would, should kind of uh, all turn to?
1: Definitely The Code by Nikolai Gogol, a Ukrainian-Russian writer. That's one of the best introduction to the idea of a little man and a very beloved idea of, of a subject in our work. It tells the story of a small clerk in the company who has a huge talent but decides uh, not to pursue the talent and merely copies handwriting of other people. So he's some type of prototype of a copy machine. And then his world changes once someone introduces him to the idea that he should get a new coat for a cold winter. Mm-hmm. And that's a short story, but uh, very interesting read.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that the question of the future is related to the question of literature. Speaking of the future, you know, it has the same feeling of like erased middle. Reason tells us that the signs are only bad that come from the future. The sort of heart tells us that we have to keep going, that we have to hope for the best. So we really live with this energy of hope. That things suddenly would change to the best, and in our times, in our if you want, digital times, things can change just like this very quickly. On the other hand, what knowledge tells us is that it becomes worse and worse, and there is no end in sight. So again, it's collision of like darkness and light, if you like. And in the light of this collision of darkness and light, what gives us strength? The type of, if if we speak of fiction books, what can be recommended to read is, of course, it's interesting to review literature of magic realism, especially Soviet magic realism of the 20s and 30s. Here, obviously, I would recommend Andrey Platonov and his great novels Construction Pit and Chevengur. Mm -hmm. As well as his short stories. Also, Mikhail Bulgakov is a great writer and his known piece about Master and Margarita. But besides those classical ones, there is also a huge corpus of literature produced in late Soviet Union and post-Soviet Russia, starting from the 70s, maybe from the 60s. It was underground and dissident literature. And then, so what unites dissident literature of late Soviet Union and post-Soviet literature is that there is a lot of sociological visions of the future Russia. Most of them are satirical, which makes them even more fun. Mm -hmm. So here, I could think of Vladimir Vajnovich is a writer from late Soviet Union with dystopian and satirical descriptions of the island of Crimea, which decided to be like separated from the continent and the separatist republic was grown there and so on. But also post-Soviet writers, it's in fact one of the main lines of all recent russian literature dystopian pictures of society here of course vladimir sorokin would be very important a writer with his he has several novels describing dystopian neo medieval future of russia which is fun to read
0: I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I should have expected that I don't get away with one tip, but with a list (laughs) of recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, I think it's a perfect ending. And I would just like to really thank you for this inspiring conversation and the insight you've given us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you very much for this conversation. It was really interesting to talk.
1: Podcast
0: Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.